Thanks for joining us here on the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Kathy Kuhn, the Counseling Director at Rolling Hills. This week we're beginning our series, Masterclass, where we'll be journeying through the Gospel of Mark chapter by chapter. Jesus is our master, and we'll be taking a class all summer long on how we ought to live with His Gospel as our textbook. In this first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is baptized, declares the good news, and says to His disciples, come follow me. Will you choose to come and follow Him? We're so glad you're here to tune in for the start of this adventure with us, and as we hear about the beginning of Jesus's ministry. morning, church. My name is Jacob, and I get the honor of serving as the discipleship pastor here. And as we start a new series, I've been, I've been praying about it, and I feel confident about this, that I'm going to be really transparent with you guys this morning. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm be real with you. You know why? Because I know you're not a judgmental crowd. You're not going to make fun of me in any way or make memes about me when this is over. This is a promise, right? This is good. We're here. Okay. Well, when I was a kid, there was a, there was a man that I spent a lot of time with. I spent a lot of time with this man. I looked up to this man. I, I, I started to watch the way he interacted with creatures. I watched his movements. I wanted to be like this man. So I began to emulate this man. Even when I wasn't spending time with this man, I would think about what my life would be like if I was this man. And that man was He-Man. Y'all literally just promised not to laugh at me. <laughs> He-Man, yeah, I wanted to be He-Man. Every time I could watch He-Man, I was there. I got proof of my three-year-old birthday party on VHS. Yes, VHS. Of me getting the power sword and the shield, claiming to have the power of grace soul. And I, I, I looked up to He-Man because as a three and four years old, you're looking for something big in your, bigger than yourself, something to hold on to, something to be like. Some, and I loved the fantasy that came with He-Man. But then I grew a little older, went to elementary school and set my sights on a more realistic person to want to be like, somebody who is uh, an actual man, something that was attainable for me. I began to play uh, multiple sports. So when you begin to do something, you find the master at that thing. And then I wanted to be like Bo Jackson. I was this close. And I wanted to be like Bo Jackson. I had the poster on my wall of Bo Jackson with the pads on, with the baseball bat. Some of y'all know what you're talking about. You either had it or you wanted it. I wanted to be like Bo Jackson. I played multiple sports. I followed the master. I wanted to do the things that he did. But then as I moved into middle school, uh, I began to focus more on baseball. I still played football, but I focused more on baseball, and I began to hone in the person I wanted to be like to King Griffey Jr. And it's the sweetest left-handed swing in baseball history. If you think it's somebody else, you're wrong. 
It's Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. always wore his hat backwards when he wasn't on the field, so I began to wear my Mariner's hat backwards. I began to want to dress like Ken Griffey Jr. If you, the Ken Griffey Jr. Nikes, those were amazing. Never had them, still want them. And I wanted to be like him. I, bat, I was a right-handed batter. I began trying to bat left-handed, trying to be like Ken Griffey Jr. Didn't work out as well but I wanted to be him. I still wear my hat backwards most of the time because King Griffey Jr. has influenced me in such a way over the years. So it was King Griffey Jr. So as I moved into high school, I, I still wanted to be King Griffey Jr. a little bit. I played on the high school baseball team. I was number 24, like King Griffey Jr. The difference is once I got to high school, I got kicked off the baseball team because of my grades, twice. And so, because, and the reason was I began to look to a different type of person. I was moving away from King Griffey Jr. and moving into a different phase. It was the garage band phase. And um, I thought I was going to be something different in my life. So I began to, remember you just said you weren't going to make fun of me again. Eddie Vedder. I wanted to be Eddie Vedder. I wanted to be Eddie Vedder. Amen, Eddie Vedder. Uh, I wanted to be Eddie Vedder. I was going to be writing albums. I was going to do all this stuff. We were doing this in the garage. I began to focus a little less on sports. I still played sports, but I was, I was becoming Eddie veteran. Then as I graduated high school, I moved into my 20s. Uh, most of my sports were done um, by then, and I, was, and I was moving away. I knew the music career wasn't for me, and I, but I liked the writing part of it, and I was like, I'm going to be a writer. So then I wanted to be, in my 20s, I wanted to be Jack Kerouac. If you don't know who Jack Kerouac is, that's kind of the purpose. I was kind of the guy I didn't want. He's under the mainstream. It was cool. Oh, you don't know who Jack Kerouac is? Well, I do. So um, <laughs> I wanted to be Jack Kerouac, begin to dress like him, uh, wanted to write like him, also never attain that. But what I tell you all this is because this point in my life, in my mid-20s, is when something drastically happened. But before I explain that, I want to say this to us, that everyone is following something. That we could take each one of you in this room or everybody watching online and do the same thing I just did for myself with each one of you, the people along the way. And I just mentioned a few of them that we look to, that we're following either people or ideas. We're all following something. Even to this day, you're following somebody, whether it be you're in business and you're looking to a CEO, you want to be like this guy or this leader or whatever it is, we're all following either a set of ideas or a person that represents those ideas. And even the way we dress, the food we eat, everything is being influenced by something because we are all following something. And in turn, we're all being formed into something. All of those people along the way for me were part of my formation of molding me to who I was. And all the people in your life and that same that you put in, they're forming you into something. Even to this moment, all the ideas around us are forming us into something. And hopefully as we enter into the book of Mark for 16 weeks, what you see is that as we study this book, Jesus is coming to us and say, set aside these other things and come and follow me and reorient your life the way those other things reorient your life. Reorient your heart, your mind, and your life around Jesus. And for me, now in my 40s, early 40s, I just want to be like Jesus. And a little bit like Indiana Jones, but... Let's dive into the word, into gospel of Mark. Let's pray and ask God to bless this moment. Father, as we come together into your 
presence into your word. Open our hearts, open our minds. Let us see the beauty of who you are, what you did, and what it means for us. And do it in a powerful way. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Everyone said, amen, amen. We can get rid of Indiana Jones at this point. Um, as we look at the gospel, Mark, the first thing I want to do is look at a question that's been asked sometimes is why is there four gospels? So before we look at Mark, let's look at a broader picture of the gospels. And I, and I, I think this is the best way to look at it. So at my house, um, I have, there's no blinds on the back. So if at night when the lights are on, there's a little green space behind my house. If I go back there, I can look into my home and in my home, I have 19 children and there, I think there's four of them. I feel like there's one that pops up new every day. But when I look in, I can see in one window, I'll see my wife and my five-month-old daughter sitting there, and I can see them. Then I'll see two sons over here playing. Then I can see one jumping on the bed at the top of the house. And the thing is, in every one of those windows is telling a different story, but holistically is telling the same story, the picture of the Scripture home. It's telling the same story, but through different windows. And when we look at the different Gospels, what they are is windows into who Jesus was, different windows telling the same story. And with four of them, we get different aspects, different pieces of the puzzle that we see together with the thread of who Jesus was, what he did, and what it means for us. And specifically through the book of Mark, we see a gospel that is traditionally believed to be written by John Mark, who we read about in Acts 12. And it's really when we do gospel, uh, Bible trivia, because I know we do that all the time, um, that's what they do at the Mexican restaurants. Bible trivia, is that right? Um, the first thing, name, 12, name the 12 disciples and people always go, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you've already missed two by that point because they weren't, there's two of those that weren't the part of the 12 disciples and Mark was not a 12 disciple. What tradition holds is that Mark, when he was writing this, was probably the, one of the most early gospels written because they were trying to get an account out as quick as possible and he was probably a scribe of Peter. And the way it's written sounds like something because Peter was very action-oriented. And when you look at the book of Mark, you see this, that the book of Mark is uh, the shortest and the most action-oriented of the gospel. So it's the shortest of all accounts. And the reason why it's short, it has all the same details, mostly of the other gospels, but he leaves out some of the prose um, and extra, extra explanations of things and just gives you the action that's happening over and over. And the, because it's shorter, you get the action more compacted. We'll see that here in just a second. But when we get into reading the Gospels, I want to give you two quick tools of how to read the Gospels well, because the Gospels are a little different than some parts of the Bible we read, like Romans or Corinthians. It kind of sometimes has more straightforward prescriptions for us. Sometimes in the Gospels, you have more description. There's less explicit direction and more implicit direction for us. So I'm going to give us two quick things. There's many other things I give you. I'm just going to give you two of how to read the Gospels well. The first thing is this. It's context context. The key to understanding as you're reading through the book of Mark, because we're doing that as a church, our daily step is focused on the book of Mark. If you didn't get one when you came in, it's on the app as well. So we just finished chapter one. So we're going to read through a chapter a week. Like we just finished chapter one, you'll read through the chapter before the sermon. So you'll have some grasp of what we were, were talking about. So if you're behind, you're only a chapter behind. It's not a big deal. You can jump in. But when you're reading, you want to understand the context. 
Just like if we went to the library and you took a book off the shelf and went to chapter eight and went to the middle paragraph and just read that paragraph and you tried to understand what the whole book meant from that, you're going to have some trouble. You would have a little bit of idea, but you'll be missing the holistic picture. And I'm not telling you that every time you read, read all 16 chapters if you want to. That is awesome. But read around it and see the context of it. Let me show you what I mean here. This is just chapter one, and this points to the action-oriented piece of it. You have this in your notes as well, and it's there online. This is just chapter one and all the things that happen. Let me, let me walk through this real quick and explain uh, some of these so we can understand the context of this. So it starts with Mark giving the purpose of it, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. And we'll talk about more what that means in a second. Then you see John the Baptist coming and preparing the way, quoting Isaiah, showing us this is the way of the Lord. I'm preparing the way. And I say that multiple times because that's going to be important for us in a minute of what it means, the way. So John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. And then John baptized Jesus. So Jesus is baptized. The Lord is pleased with him. And then Jesus goes from the water to the wilderness and he is tested and he responds well. He responds to the testing in the desert. And the first thing he does is come out and announce his ministry. Repent and believe the good news. Relieve the gospel. The kingdom of God is here and now. So he announces the, the coming kingdom he announced that it's here and now here's my ministry. And the first thing he does is gather his crew. He goes and calls his first disciples. His first act after declaring his ministry is gathering people into community. He goes from community and says, hey guys, let's go. And the next things that happen is him showing his authority to his disciples and to the world. The next thing he does is drive out an impure spirit. He heals many with the authority that he's showing that I have the authority to heal diseases. Then he goes and prays alone. So he's been showing his divinity in the last two, then goes and shows his humanity that he's praying alone, that like we must do, we must go and spend time with the Lord. And then he heals a man with leprosy. And what I want you to understand is there's a lot going on in this context, but we're gonna study just a second. Jesus calls his first disciples but you understand more of what's going on when you see it in the broader picture, just of chapter one of what's going on. When you see when he's calling his disciples, he's announcing the kingdom and he's showing them how to live and how to be in the world. So context is the first thing you see. The next thing is repetition. As you're reading through the gospels, you'll get to chapter five or something and you'll say, hey, I remember this from chapter two. This seems like a consistent theme. What that is, is something that God wanted to use the author to point out to you when you see repetition that this is important. For example, in chapter one alone, you see the word that's translated immediately. 11 times in chapter one alone. That's a ding, ding, ding. That is important. In the NIV, it doesn't translate it as immediately all the time, but you see like at once or in that very moment. But a lot of translations just go immediately 11 times just in chapter one to show you the action, to show you the importance of how God's authority responds into action. In the book of Mark alone, it's like 42 times you see that. That is important. Anytime you see repetition, that is important. So we, we, we just looked at the gospel of Mark briefly, 30,000 square foot. Now we're going to double click on that and go in to Jesus calling of the disciples and kind of get in on a street level view. So let's, let's read this with me in Mark chapter one, starting in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once or immediately, 
they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay or immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the higher men and followed them. What I want you to see from this picture is Jesus has probably seen these four guys before. This is probably not their first encounter. Mark doesn't mention it, but it's probably not. They may have heard Jesus teach before, and Jesus is following back up with them and calling them and saying, come and follow me. What I love about this is, is it reminds me of like, if you've ever seen the movie Moneyball, it's one of my favorite movies because it combines two of my favorite things, baseball and heavy research. Um, and if you don't know the story, it's the story of the Oakland Athletics when they decided to uh, see their budget differently. They begin to, hey, how do we find value in players that other people don't find value in? How do we find value in players that other people have overlooked either because they're physical characteristics or they, they just don't play the part of what they're looking for on their team? They still, and Moneyball is the way that they use their money to find value in players. Even to this day, they still do Moneyball. You can argue if it works or not, but like, here's a good example. The shortstop for the New, the New York Mets makes more than the entire Oakland A's roster. They're, they're like, hey, we got a little bit of money. We're going to use it. And what they do is try to find value in people that other people have not valued. And the way they do it is by seeing them for who they are and who they believe they can be. And that's what Jesus is doing with the disciples. He sees Peter and Andrew and James and John, for who they are, but he also sees them for who they can be. And that's the same thing he does for us. When he comes to us and beckons us, come and follow me, he sees us for who we are, but also for who he believes we can be. And he's calling to us now to even say, come and follow me. And the difference, this is different for people because rabbis at that time, they never went and said, hey, come and follow me, be my student. Instead, students went to rabbis and said, hey, can I be your apprentice? It was, and he's reversing it and he's coming out and calling them to follow him. So it's odd in that way. The same way that when I wanted to be like Bo Jackson, Bo Jackson never called me and said, would you be my apprentice? He never called me and said, be like me. He never said, follow me. I sought out Bo Jackson. In the same way that when I was in my mid-20s, Jesus came to me and said, follow me, Jacob. I know your sin. I know all the things that you've done. Come and follow me. Come be my apprentice. Come be my student. And that's what he's doing here. The way Bo Jackson is the, the master of multi-sports. King Griffey Jr. is the master of the left-handed swing. He-Man's the master of the universe. That's what it is. You find these masters along the way. Jesus is the master, and he's calling us. He's calling the disciples to be his apprentices, to be his students. And earlier, John says, repent and be baptized. And, the, and then Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This idea of repentance means this, that you're going one way and you stop and you go another way. And what Jesus is doing, this is you're going one way and go the another way. Jesus is coming. John announced the way of the Lord. Jesus is coming and says, come after me and come my way. Repent from this way and come this new way. 
He's calling us to something new, to repent from our sins, repent from who we were and become who he is. He's calling us to a new way. And look how the disciples respond. Their response is immediate and quick. It says immediately. And what the author wants to see in that is our response to Jesus should be immediate and complete. Then when he says, follow me, it should be yes, Lord. Because this is true. It is impossible to follow Jesus standing still. The idea of it is following forward. When he calls the disciples, they don't just look up from their nets and say, oh, yes, Lord, we believe that you are Lord. We believe that you are the Messiah. And they go back to tending their nets. It says immediately they drop their nets. Standing still is not a option. And I say it like this. Following Jesus is more than the way to heaven. It's the way to live until heaven comes. It is the way to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He is the only way to heaven. But following Jesus is more than us saying, I have eternal life and I will be welcomed into the kingdom one day. It's saying we should live as if the kingdom has already come right now. That it is a transformative thing that the way we live has to be different. That when we come to Jesus in saving faith, it has to change the way we live for all of eternity. Because if we come together and truly believe that a man came, died, and rose from the dead, our lives cannot be the same. Because following Jesus is more than knowing information. It is living transformation. It's more than knowing information because sometimes we get stuck in the trap of, I just need to read the Bible more. I just need to know more. And all that is true, but not to gain information. Part of it is about reading who Jesus is so that he, through his spirit and through his word and through the people around us can change us into his likeness. It is more than knowing information. The information is important to know who we're being changed into, but it's living transformation. That means living a changed life, but also an active transformation that's happening over time that we are being transformed into his likeness, into his image. I love this quote from Invitation to a Journey. Before I give it to you, it, it's, it's, it's going to hurt a little bit. The process of being formed into the image of Christ takes place primarily at the points of our unlikeness to Christ's image. That the place where God meets us and begins to change us is not in the places that we are most like Jesus. It's in the place where we are most unlike Jesus. And he wants to meet us in those moments and begin that transformation, begin that process of changing us into his likeness. And as I say that, if your heart's anything like my heart, you know exactly where that place is right now. You know that place where Jesus wants to meet you in that change. Because this is true. You've heard that Jesus say in a, in a later gospel, say, count the cost of following me. And we think about different things when we think about counting the cost. We're like, well, it may cost me uh, money. It may cost me my job. It may cost me all these other things. It, it may cost me. But here's some things that we often forget it's going to cost you. The first thing it's going to cost you is your sin. The sin that we have in your life following Jesus is going to cost you that sin. That one where we say, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. I give you all of myself except for this part. But what I want to tell you is there is no hidden sin from Jesus. This morning, we had, I was in the backyard this morning, and we have these like plastic um, old school outdoor chairs out there. And I have 
three sons, a nine-year-old today, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old. And this morning behind the air conditioner, I found a broken chair placed there very nicely. (laughs) And knowing my children, I know for a fact it was my four-year-old Zeke. He broke it and he was like, well, I'm just going to hide this from him. He'll never find this. He tried to hide it back there and I brought it out and put it on the patio and just left it there before I left. So he would come out and be like, oh no. (laughs) He knows. Which often is really sometimes what we try to do with our sin. If I just hide this here, no one will know. The Lord won't know. But those are the things it's going to cost. It's going to cost us our sin. It's also going to cost us our shame. If you're here today and you're living in the shame of that sin, that's something you can't hold on to anymore. Because Jesus came to take that shame from you. He came to take your shame upon himself on the cross. So if you're here carrying that shame, if you hear anything today, hear me say Jesus came to take that shame from you. Your brokenness, if you're here today and you feel broken, Jesus came to make you whole. You don't have to carry that brokenness anymore. You don't have to carry that sin. You don't have to carry that brokenness. You don't have to carry that shame. He wants to take that from you and transform you from that into his likeness. And sometimes when we think about our spiritual formation or our sanctification, our discipleship, we think about it in different terms sometimes. Sometimes we think it should look like this, that when we become his followers, we should immediately look like Jesus. That instantaneously we are Jesus. Now, when God looks down, he sees Jesus's holiness, his perfection, but our way of being in the world should immediately look like Jesus. But that's not the way it works. That's not how anything works. The culture says that everything should work like this when that's why discipleship is so counterculture because it is slow. It is a process of change. And so we think it may look like this, that it's a slow incline towards Christ's likeness, but it's not like that either. This is a better picture of what our spiritual formation looks like. It's like this. And this is, this, if you look at the disciples, the disciples, yes, Lord, we, we love you. Immediately they follow him and we see them. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Then they're in a valley and they make mistakes and they fail. And they have ups and downs. Our spiritual formation looked more like this. If you turn it the other way, it would look like the $5 I have in the stock market. Um, going the other way. But it should be like this. There's ups and downs, but it's an volatile upward trajectory is what our spiritual formation should look like, a volatile upward trajectory. And maybe you're here today. And oftentimes when we're here, all we see is this. We forget the time before. We have no process to see the time in the future, and we only see the valley. But what I'm here to tell you is the valley is where we learn the most. Our lows is where God can teach us the most. It's hard to learn on the peak. It's hard to learn on the mountaintop because like things are awesome. I don't need anything. But in the valley, when all we have is the Lord is when we can learn the most. And I want to tell you this, that Jesus died on a hill so that he could meet us in the valley. That he went to the lowest of lows to a grave in death and rose again, and one fact is, so our lows would never feel too low. 
So if you're in a low, you would know that Jesus went to the lowest of lows so we would never feel too far, we would never feel too low, never feel out of his reach because he conquered even death. But what you may see, if you're down here and you're there alone, you don't have people speaking into your life, you don't have people around you locked on with to help you walk out of the valley, it can feel worse than it's supposed to be. But that's not the way God designed it. He designed discipleship very differently than that. And I want to show it to you like this. Here is Peter. Here's the disciple right here. So Peter was called to follow Jesus. We saw him follow Jesus. And he had three types of discipleship relationships. And I believe this is, this is born out in scripture, but it's also a prescription for us to live a spiritual formation life, to live a discipleship life. So Peter had three types of people. He had a teacher. So Jesus was the master teacher. He was the one teaching him, hey, come follow me, be, me, be my apprentice. Let me show you the way to be in the world. I'm gonna teach you. And then Peter had his peer. So he had the spiritually mature pouring into him as he's growing. And then he had his spiritual peers. This is the rest of the 12 disciples, James, John, Matthew, to where they had the spiritual fears. When Jesus would say, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they'd be like, cool, 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 cool. What is he talking about? They would have each other to ask questions and to grow together. So they had the master teacher, the spiritual peer, and then he had disciples people that he would turn around and pour into. They would have these three types of people because he called G they called the disciples, come and follow me and be what? Fishers of men. Or as Jesus says, fishers of men, but not just to make converts, but to make disciples, to go and make disciples. So part of it is circular that you have a master teacher, you have a peer, but then you begin to pour into others because eventually Jesus goes away, leaves us the Holy Spirit and Peter becomes the master teacher and begins to pour into disciples and make disciples and live out this verse right here. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So my question for you is, do you have a spiritually mature person in your life pouring into you? First of all, is Jesus your primary master teacher? And do you have someone who's following Christ that you're following their example as following Christ? Someone a little further down the road that you, that you can watch them follow and learn from them. And do you have spiritual peers, people that you can go to as you're growing? And who is the person that you're discipling? The middle one's easy, having the peers. Having the spiritual mentor is hard. Discipling others is hard, but they're no less important than the other. Of having people to pour into as you become the teacher. And when you think about this verse, the place that this is most convicting to me, and this is for families out there, parents with kids, that I always say that I, I am the discipleship pastor at Rolling Hills, but my most important job is the discipleship pastor of my home. And it's super heavy on my weight to think my kids may follow Christ as if I am following Christ. They're following my example to follow Christ, that one day they may follow Christ exactly like me. And every night I pray that that's not true. I pray that Abe, Zeke, Jude, and May follow Christ more closely than I have. But maybe, just maybe, I've set an example for them to get to that spot of following Jesus more closely. So how are we setting that example to follow me as I follow Christ? Let me introduce you to somebody really quick. This is Gerardo. I just met him in Peru 
a couple of weeks ago. Um, he is a follower of Christ. God called him, come and follow me. He said, yes, Lord. And then he came to him and said, hey, I want you to help change Peru. So God gave him a call to start schools, train pastors, Christian schools, and to start churches. Now, if I remember correctly, there's, he started five schools and seven churches. He's answered the call and he has been obedient to that call and he has five kids. And I met all five of his kids and every one of those five kids is either leading one of those Christian schools or leading one of those churches. And we asked him, how is this true? How can, how can all of y'all be doing this and following the footsteps of your father? And they pretty much said, we're just following his example as he follows Christ. And I want that to be true of my family. And I pray it's true of yours because this is true. Following Christ doesn't just lead everyone overseas. It turns wherever you are to the mission field. So he called the disciples to be fisher of men. That means we'll go wherever it takes to get the gospel out and make disciples. But that doesn't mean everyone will go overseas, but it 100% means that wherever you are is to become a mission field. That you where you are for a reason. That you've been sent as a missionary to your neighborhood, to your office complex, to your city, to your community, to your son's school, to your daughter's ballet program, whatever it is, you've been called as a missionary and has become a mission field because we are all called to follow him and be fishers of men. And here's something interesting. He called them to be fishers of men and he gave them that example because they were fishers. Now I want you to change to a kingdom perspective and make him fishers of men. And he's saying the same thing to us, whatever it is you're doing. I'm calling you to change it to a kingdom perspective and take the gospel with you. I want to close this out by showing you something. At the very end of Mark, I want to show you something beautiful about the gospel that Mark gives us here. He says, a man with leprosy. And oftentimes when you read passages like this, we have trouble connecting ourselves to the passage. But I want to show you something. A man with leprosy came to him, came to Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was indignant or moved with compassion. And he reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once. Strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely. Jesus changed his life and he could not keep in what was done. He could not keep it in and he started living out the Great Commission and began to tell the story. He saw it as a mission field, started spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town and openly, openly, but stayed outside in lonely or desolate places. Yet the people stay, still came to him from everywhere. What I want you to see here is this. One, that Jesus has the authority over all things. He can heal leprosy. He can heal diseases. And that should be a comfort to us that we have a God that has the power to heal those diseases. But I also want you to see this. A leper could not be in the city. He had to live in exile out of the city. He probably hadn't had the human touch in multiple, multiple years. He was lonely. He was ashamed. When people would come by, they would yell at him and say, unclean. So he had no physical touch. He was living in loneliness and drowning in shame. And what did Jesus do? The first thing he did was touch him. And I know that touch told that leper, I love you. And the next thing he did was make him clean. He took his shame away. 
upon himself. And where the leper was exiled outside the city, the next thing Jesus did was take his place and take his exile from him and went to desolate places where the leper was before. And what I want you to see is this. Where are we in the story? We are the leper. We were once exiled. We were once separated from God. We were once on the outskirts, filled with shame, living in our sin, unclean. But Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again to take your shame and my shame and his shame, to take our exile, to take our place. And for that to change our life forever, that when he says, come and follow me, we drop everything and say, yes, Lord. And then like the leper, go and tell everyone we come across about what Jesus has done for us. And in turn, we become fishers of men. Let's pray. Father, as we come into this moment, Lord, we are so thankful for your witness for your story in the gospel of Mark that brings us so comfort of what you did, who you were, and what it means for us, God. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that's never made the decision to follow you, Lord, let not another second pass before they make that decision. And for those of us in the room, we may be following, Lord, but we're at the bottom of the valley, Lord. And we feel the darkness of the valley. We feel like it's the lowest of the lows, Lord. We know that there is no low too low for you. That we know that even in the depths, you are there, Lord. That you said, if I go to Sheol, the deepest of the deeps, I know you are there, Lord. Lord, I pray your hope and your grace meets them there and helps them with the people around them to come out of that valley towards the peak of being more like you. And for all of us, Lord, that you would change us today, that we would be more like you than when we walked in. And Lord, as we go, we would be fishers of men and tell everyone of the good news of the gospel that Jesus has come to take away the sins of the world, mine and theirs, and that would change their life forever. And we ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If this content has blessed you in some way, we hope you will share it with a friend and subscribe so you never miss a new sermon. Be sure to check out our other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, you can download our app, Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. Tune in next week for more of our series, Masterclass.